what parents are learning is that parents in private schools have very few rights, if any. You sign an enrollment contract, which basically says your very existence at that school is contingent upon your behavior as a parent and a student. And at the end of the day, the head of school can ask you to leave for whatever reason, right? Literally for whatever reason, there's no, no due process. If you, Jen, appeared on Fox News and your head of school thought that was maybe controversial, they could just say, you know what, we don't think you're a fit here. And so you should find another school. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interests in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate. And if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Diversity of thought. Well, there's a novel concept in 2021. Diversity of thought. Think about that. Being able to have a different perspective, having something that's unique, having your own life experiences. Why is it that we're in a society today that as adults, we're scared to say what we believe because we might be ridiculed by our friends, by our clients, by our boss? What about kids in school? What are they being fed these days? Is there any diversity of thought there? So my question is this, why do we have to agree with people 100% of the time? Do you agree with your parents 100% of the time or your children or your spouse or your best friend? I'm thinking the answer is probably no. And as one of my favorite presidents once said, the person who agrees with you 80% of the time is a friend and ally, not a 20% traitor. I think we need to go back to that. I don't even know if it's 80%. I would say I'd be happy with 55%, 65%, but I think we get the point. It's just understanding that we're all different and our life experiences bring us to our beliefs. Our education brings us to our beliefs. Our faith brings us to our beliefs. What I thought was really upsetting to me was in the spring, there was a speaker and the speaker basically told us all what he thought we all are without knowing any of us. On the heels of that, friends of mine came up with an organization called Parents Unite. Its mission is to ensure that kindergarten through grade 12 schools, and these are independent schools, promote a culture that values and prioritizes true diversity of thought, freedom of discourse, and self-expression. They believe that curious young minds should have the opportunity to engage, examine, and express themselves. Isn't that what we want? We want their little spongy brains to be able to formulate their own opinions. We want them to grow into adults 
that they can have rational decision-making capabilities. Students are being taught what to think rather than how to critically form their own beliefs, thoughts, and perspectives. So today, I'm going to talk to my friend, Ashley Jacobs. Ashley is one of the founders and executive director of Parents Unite, and Parents Unite recently had a phenomenal conference bringing together educators and thought leaders from around the country to discuss just this diversity of thought. Ashley, welcome to the show. So nice to have you with me. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. Awesome. So I'm going to get right into this. You started an organization called Parents Unite. And I think the premise was basically having some diversity of thought going on in private schools. Is that something around where you guys were starting this? Exactly. So I'm not sure how familiar you are with the whole higher ed landscape, but you know, for however many years, higher ed has been a very monolithic, ideologically slanted group of schools. And parents noticed that all of that sort of one-sidedness is spilling into K through 12 schools. Basically, students are self-censoring. They're afraid to speak out if they have a different a difference of opinion. We don't think that's healthy. We noticed it more this year on Zoom because finally, for the first time in many years, we were actually to have a glimpse into the classroom. So we started thinking about what this was a result of. And in the private school realm, it turns out that the accrediting agencies have a very oversized role in determining what types of professional development what types of resources these schools take advantage of. And this leads to this culture of a very, uh, I guess, non-diverse context where kids really aren't feeling the benefits of the diversity push that's been happening in all of these schools. So how did you, so you have children ranging from high school, middle school to college. And what Did you notice this happening in schools or was there something that prompted all of this? We've noticed it subtly with our children a little bit over the years. It wasn't as dramatic as stories that we had heard from friends and peers in other schools. I think it's less about the exact examples. You know, you read about all these crazy stories in New York City schools and L.A. schools. There's been such an overcorrection. And I think it was more just if you look at society and what's happening with cancel culture it's spilling into our kids, right? They are looking at the adults that are supposed to be in the room and seeing that they can't get along. They don't know how to talk to each other. You get canceled for saying anything potentially controversial. Now imagine you're a school-aged child going to school. In our view, the whole purpose of going to school is to sort of get your mind blown, right? And to like learn all these crazy things that you've never been exposed to to really challenge your beliefs and make you smarter, And when you go to school and you're not learning anything that's challenging your beliefs or you don't feel comfortable challenging what school is telling you, that's not making anybody smarter. Kids are basically telling teachers what they want to hear. If you have a paper, you're going to write the paper you think your teacher wants to read because you want to get the good grade. If you're applying to college, you want to please the teacher that's writing your recommendation so you get a good recommendation. So it creates this environment where kids are sort of trying to just get along. They're not trying to make waves when the exact point of education is 
to sort of make waves in a good way. We want to be respectful, but we really do want to teach our children to think out of the box and be critical thinkers. And it just turns out that that's not happening. Yeah, no, I I see it with my own kids where they say, because clearly I don't care who I talk politics with and everyone knows my perspective. And I get from my own kids, you know, you're going to get me in trouble or this teacher is going to hate me because of you or the school's going to hate me and I'm never going to get a recommendation. And I think that's really unfortunate that I can't speak my beliefs because it's not the popular opinion, because my kids feel as though they are going to be the ones that are victims to the things I say, which is unfortunate. Now, last spring, I think it was, I know, you know, for, for me being in Massachusetts and for you being in Massachusetts, there was a school-wide Zoom with a speaker who, from my perspective and what I got, spent an hour and a half telling me that because I am white, I am just inherently a racist. Did that have, did that help motivate Parents United, Parents Unite to get off the ground a little bit? Or, you know, was that just another nail in the coffin of what you had been seeing? I think it was both, right? Like we had already been thinking about this in the fall leading up to the election, just thinking the world was very divided and seeing how that was playing out in schools. When that speaker was hired, it was basically pushed on these schools by the accreditation agencies. And our position was, okay, you have someone coming to speak to all these schools. I think 9,000 parents ended up showing up on this Zoom and they paid a lot of money. We said, okay, that's great. You have a captive audience and this tends to be a polarizing conversation. So it would behoove you to provide the other side, right? Because in a world where you're trying to form an opinion, you need to be able to defend your opinion. So you got to expose people to different ideas in order to do that. And so we did reach out to the accreditation agencies and say, look, if you're going to do this, why don't we have an understanding that free speech and diversity of thought is something we all want to put a stake in the ground around and it gives schools cover. And it turns out that university of Chicago realized this was an issue back in, I think 2014 or 15, and they created actually a Chicago statement, which is essentially a statement that they have incoming freshmen sign and the administration follows. And it says it is not the role, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's not the role of a university to shield students or faculty from ideas that might be uncomfortable. We want to be respectful, but like school's a place to challenge, learn, and grow. And so we said to the accreditation agencies, it seems like you guys are going down a very narrow path here. And we send our kids to independent schools to become independent thinkers. We don't see that happening. So how about as part of your accreditation process, you encourage schools to create their own versions of a free speech statement. We think it could be a really unifying experience for all these schools, bring people together. Where where does free speech fit on our priority list? It gives teachers cover, it gives students cover. Like there's really nothing bad that can come of it. It is a right, right? I think it's our first amendment, right? It's last I checked. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) it, It still is for now. And so that we didn't think that was a complicated ask. And then at the same time, we said, just balance out the resources, right? So if you have speaker A, who's really polarizing, then bring in the other side and let the viewers decide for themselves. They responded by saying, well, we got this. We're doing a great job and no thank you. 
And so that was sort of eye-opening too, because they really do have a monopoly and a cartel all rolled into one because all of the heads of schools basically serve on the board of the accrediting agencies. They all accredit each other. And accreditation is really sort of, if you think about it, it's supposed to be quality control, but it's really not because all you're doing is assessing a school against its mission statement, which is vague and ambiguous at best. So at the end of the day, it's not like they're saying, okay, you guys are, you know, leading cutting edge STEM programs and preparing kids to have all the necessary skills to be productive, productive members of the workforce in the future. No, they're basically, it's very soft. So that was really sort of our work product was this Chicago statement and trying to get some momentum around that. That's fascinating. So one of the topics that I am super interested in is school choice, because I think that it is, it is up to every parent to decide where his or her child goes to school, whether that be a public school Some public schools are amazing. I'm a product of public school. I loved public school. Clearly, in the city of Boston, we have no opportunities to send our kids to public schools because our end of the city doesn't have them. Private schools are fabulous, but you have a little bit less control, at least a school board if it's elected, which it isn't in Massachusetts, but New York, for example, does elect their school boards. If you are an elected school board member, you're held to a little bit of account, different accountability than the appointed. And so it's interesting in private school because you would think as a parent, you have a little bit more, not control, but say over who's on the board. And then there's also the charter school and the parochial school, you know, which are are different animals themselves. So I think one of the things that I'm fascinated by is this happened. 9,000 parents are on this Zoom. I'm sure we are not the only place in the country where this was going on, which this was specific to New England and, and kind of where our region. So I'm sure it's going on in other places in the country. So for those of us that do have kids at private schools, independent schools, where the board is just selected. How is it that parents can make sure that that board is also diverse? Because I've been on university boards of trustees, and it's always good. I might have been a substantial minority in in my voice, but I think it's always good to have some dissenting voices. How can parents make sure that they know one who's on the school board of their independent school and two, be able to participate in a way where maybe their voices are heard? Great question. And I think what parents are learning is that parents in private schools have very few rights, if any. You sign an enrollment contract, which basically says your very existence at that school is contingent upon your behavior as a parent and a student. And at the end of the day, the head of school can ask you to leave for whatever reason, right? Literally for whatever reason, there's no, no due process. If you, Jen appeared on Fox news and your head of school thought that was maybe controversial, they could just say, you know what, we don't think you're a fit here. And so you should find another school. So that's one thing that parents are dealing with. As far as governance, the governance structure is really complicated because it turns out that you're right trustees are sort of appointed. There's a committee on trustees, existing trustees basically vote in other trustees. It turns out most of those trustees are there to give money. It's philanthropy driven. 
And then once they get there, the rules of engagement are dictated by NAIS, which is the overarching membership organization that houses all the accrediting bodies. And so what they do is they'll write the playbook and they'll say, okay, you're a new trustee at School X and here's how it goes here. And it's different than any other nonprofit, right? Because they want you to make sure that you keep out of operations and operations are defined as basically anything that has to do with the school. And so trustees in many cases, aren't sure what questions they can ask, right? They should be asking questions around process. How do how did you decide to choose that math curriculum? How did you decide to choose that speaker? How did you decide to choose that consultant as opposed to really getting into the nuts and bolts of the operations? And they should be doing that. And they're not because I think they're scared to ask any questions. The other problem is they're mostly parents. So their kids are in the schools. And back to the earlier conversation around accountability with teachers, recommendations. If you're a trustee and you have a kid in that school, you don't want to do anything to jeopardize your child standing in the school jeopardize their chances of going to college. And so you can see how whatever is playing out in society, corporate America, everything, most people I would hope on these boards have some modicum of common sense. I think that most people do. I think you have outliers on either end of this conversation, very far left, very far right, who are small minorities, but very loud, and they're clouding the water for everybody. Most people, I think, are squarely in the middle. And if anybody has common sense, they look around and say, this doesn't feel right, and it doesn't look right. The problem is that nobody wants to be the one to stand up and ask that question and say, this doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. Why are we doing this? Because the cost to people of standing up is high in their perceived mind, right? Like, and maybe it really is high. You could be canceled. You could get in trouble for with your business. You could lose customers, like however you follow that line of thought. And so you end up with a complicit board. They spent a year on Zoom, so they didn't get together in person. And you know what happens when you have a board meeting on Zoom. Nobody wants to raise their hand and ask a question because everyone's paying attention. There's no side conversation. So the conditions were really ripe to isolate people and to keep sort of the status quo moving forward. And I think even this year, not all schools are meeting in person as far as boards. And again, it's going to perpetuate this sort of power differential between sort of the administration and the board. So what we're trying to do is help trustees have resources. We put out a one sheet, sort of a trustee's guide, right, to being a very productive member of a board in a private school. There are things people can do. They just need to have the courage to do it. And that's the biggest challenge that I think all of us in this space are facing right now is there are so many people who call you on the side and message you on the side and say, this is so great, but I'm just not sure I can say anything because my child is a junior. This is a big year. I just don't want to put anybody in trouble. And so this is what we're dealing with. The cost of staying silent is high, but it hasn't reached a point where it's worth sort of risking whatever you're risking to stand up against. So I guess my two takeaways are one, I feel like independent school boards are really not independent, independent, right? I mean, independent schools sound good because they cost money and they're not beholden to teachers unions, which is wonderful. But on the other hand, they're not beholden to the teachers union, but they're beholden to this hierarchy of 
you know, bureaucracy in a different way where they are demand, you know, they have demands and they don't want to hear anything and it's their way or the highway, which I think is really unfortunate. And thank you so much for being the organization that is exposing that, that that is the case because I think it's important for parents and hopefully for anyone who is going to put their child in K through 12 private independent school. Hopefully they will ask the questions going forward and more people will come out in the future understanding that, you know, this, this is a written rule that's written before the trustees are even there or on the board. I think the other takeaway is people being scared, people being scared of being canceled, people being scared of what might happen. Um, and maybe I, I haven't exhibited that because, you know, it, it hasn't happened to me because I went in already being known for what it is that I do and I talk about. And I'm incredibly, incredibly fortunate that the headmasters at my children's schools like to engage me in politics <laughs> and they want to hear the other perspective. And I, I cherish our schools because of that. So this has nothing to do if, you know, for, for my kids. But again, I, I do, I am concerned because you do hear it and, and it's not that it doesn't filter down through the teachers. So even though the administrators and the board might not have an agenda, I do feel as though teachers do have their own personal agendas and especially generationally, I see that a little bit more as well. So how, how, I mean, clearly, look, you weren't scared. You thought it was more important to expose this and to go out on a limb and say something so crazy, like there's a First Amendment right to diversity of thought and freedom of speech. And our kids need to be taught both sides of the story. Why, if you did that, how, how or how, how can we encourage more parents to do what you did and put themselves out there and challenge the existing structure? Because as a parent, I spoke to a parent this weekend and she said to me, my concern with all of this is that the pendulum swings all the way from one side to all the way to the other side. So I think my caution and, and my concern is if you don't stop it from going and continuing to move and move and move all the way to the left, where that is the only speech that is acceptable at school and the only thought that's acceptable at schools, then what is going to happen is it is going to swing all the way to the right. So for anyone on the left, they need to be concerned and this is always my, my words of caution. If you're going to say that this was a recent example with what happened in Texas with abortion laws, right? If you're going to say we're going to start having a citizen police force that is going to enforce the fact that if you go and get an abortion, that person is able to sue the doctor and is able to go after you. Well, that pendulum could swing all the way over to the left, where as those of us who live in blue states, if we owned a gun, we could then be penalized and be sued, right? And it's just, it's something that's a very slippery slope from one side to the other. So 
So I would like to be able to find a way to encourage parents to explain that it's not taking it from one side all the way to the other, but it's just moderating the discussion. And it's being able to have maybe teachers. We love our teachers and they've done a great job and, you know, through COVID and everything, but get them to think outside the box and maybe hear answers that they're uncomfortable with. Just like, you know, a lot of times those of us on the right are told that we need to be okay, that we're not going to be comfortable with the conversation. So I think, you know, how, how do we find that? How do we find that middle ground of saying, this is good. This is good for all of us to be able to find this middle ground because otherwise it's going to swing too far to the other side. Well, that's what we're trying to do because again, what's the point of education, right? We have been lowering the bar for years now. And I think that's a symptom of this whole problem, right? Like we're creating safe spaces, we, won't, we don't want people to feel uncomfortable in school. We, some, we had a speaker, Brett Stevens, who was amazing at our conference, which we can get into in a minute. And he talked about the tyranny of kindness. We've been so focused on being kindness that we aren't telling people the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. Like you got to work hard. You got to be on time. You're not, you don't know everything, but you also have to be open to the fact that you don't know everything. And this is where you learn stuff is school. And it's not going to always make you feel great. And this whole like culture of participation trophies, like how does that help anybody? So whereas I think a lot of this generation has raised their kids really focusing on self-esteem to what end, you know, I think we all want to raise productive, tolerant, kind, curious children, but it doesn't seem like that's working. And so what we're saying is it's balance, right? And not everything deserves balance. Like bad ideas don't deserve a counterpoint. And I think, again, it goes back to common sense and rational thinking. And assuming you go to school and people are educated, your teachers, for example, they should be able to be facilitators, right? That's their job. Their job isn't to be commentators. Their job is to facilitate a conversation. And they have a professional obligation to not sort of show their true colors. And you could imagine a scenario where if you know a kid in your classroom is always you know, going down one path and always sort of speaking the same thing ideologically. Wouldn't it be great if a teacher said, gosh, so-and-so, you seem really comfortable with that position. Let's talk about the other side and vice versa, right? Can you imagine a conversation in a classroom where you would challenge your students to take a position that might be uncomfortable for them? What might they learn from that? How could we then move the discussion forward? Because again, we want to make our kids smarter. And the only way you get smarter is to exercise different muscles. It's like if you're a track star and you just did laps around the same track all the time and exercised one part of your, you know, your muscle group, like that's fine. But to be a really great track star, probably you want to throw in some other things to make it more interesting and kind of trick your muscles into other things. And so I guess think about that with your brain, you're always talking about the same things. You've dumbed it down. You're living in an echo chamber. You really don't know how to defend yourself against anything because you haven't been exposed to it. So essentially you're not well-educated. That's awesome. That's such such a actually I love the track star analogy. I think that that's perfect. I love the sports analogies. So you brought up something that I want to touch on, which is that Parents Unite had a phenomenal conference and it was called the Diversity of Thought Conference and you brought in speakers from around the country and 
I was there and I thought it was great and some great podcasts, personalities were there and some think tanks and other thought leaders. So can you just say a little bit about what the conference was and what you think is going to come out of it? So to your earlier point about how do we get parents to stand up and start to work on this, it turns out a lot of them already are. And around the country, what we noticed this past year is there are tons of grassroots organizations springing up to sort of tackle different facets of this problem. And the great thing is they're all really, really, really making great progress. But again, they're all over the country. And so we thought, what if we brought everybody together? Because it's really hard to, as you know, collaborate over Zoom. So we said, let's have a national diversity of thought conference. Who knew you need to do that, actually, which is sort of a sad state of affairs, but premise aside. So we invited everybody. We said, if you are a grassroots organizer, if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, an administrator, come, come to Boston. We're going to create a great lineup of people. The goal of the conference is to educate, inform, and connect people, and then give them actual solutions where they can go back into their communities and try to make a difference. And so we were really lucky to get thought leaders, doers, people on the ground, people in think tanks, to your point. And I think we came out of the conference feeling really good about the fact that we connected a lot of people who ordinarily wouldn't be connected. So that leads to new work streams and new opportunities. And I think that that's going to be the the output, right? Going forward, we have a new sort of base of support. And we know how to mobilize maybe in different geographies and maybe around different causes. I mean, just today, like there's a whole, now there's a group of, you know, one group that's working on one thing, but I don't know if you saw Merrick Garland came out and basically said that the justice department is going to be basically focused on parents as terrorists, right? Because It turns out that he feels that they are a threat to the school board process. We've been reading in the news, you know, they've been some pretty heated school board committee meetings because to your point about parents want choices and they want to be able to affect their children's education. You know, you've probably seen stories in different counties outside of Massachusetts where they've been some heated conversations. Apparently that's a threat to society, maybe. Again, I have to sort of go read a little bit further into it, but he did, you know, issue this directive. And so imagine like you're a parent and you see this and it's like, wait, parents are now the enemy now. Like the attorney general said that we're bad because we're trying to fight for our kids and education. And so I think that like that sort of lights a little bit of a fire, right? And it turns out it was the National School Board Association that asked for the federal assistant to to stop, quote, threats and acts of violence against public education leaders. But I don't think we've actually seen real threats. Again, I maybe am naive, but the point is it's a little bit of a slippery slope, right? Because like, what's a threat? Like, I'm going to threaten to basically make sure you're never elected to this school board again. Would a parent go to jail for saying that? Is this going to then silence parents and prevent them from going to future school board meetings because they're now scared to open their mouth because they might get censored? I mean, that's a little bit scary, right? So the fact that the government is putting the kibosh on parents trying to exercise their First Amendment rights. Now, look, nobody wants to advocate for violence or actual threats, but this seems a little bit different than that. I think it's more than scary. It's terrifying. You know, the, the, 
Virginia governor's race is really hot right now. And Terry McAuliffe, who is the former governor of Virginia and now the U.S. senator from there, actually said last, I don't know, just recently in a, in a debate or in a conference that he does not think that parents should have any say in their children's education, which I find horrifying because I feel as though when it comes to sex ed being taught in school, I want it to be appropriate content. I don't want the school just deciding. I want, when it comes to race and history, I want the correct history taught. I don't want fictional history taught. And I do think that it is, it's important for parents to have a say in their children's education because ultimately aren't parents the number one educator of their children? Don't, don't our kids all learn from us and having older children like you do and I do, we know that, you know, they might resist, there might be a resistance of children against their parents and being like us and thinking like us, but eventually it does come out and they are learning from home every single day. So I think that we are the premier educators of our children and and we should have a say. Now, look, I don't want to be involved in the day to day. I don't want to talk about, you know, what kind of novels they read, you know, and, and but I do like to hear that things are being taught in an accurate and correct way, which I don't feel like a lot of, especially the public schools are doing at this time. Yeah, I th- but I think it goes back to the conversation around this is firing up parents, and that's a good thing. Like I think, I think that you know historically parents have just had trust in the institutions, and I think what we're learning is that that trust may have been a little bit misplaced. And so the good news is that parents are seeing it for themselves and they're mobilizing. And there are a lot of parents mobilizing. And I think that good things will come of that. And that's why we're trying to keep the connections going and bring people together and tackle different facets of this problem. Cause they're just, there's so many angles that it touches. And I think the other key thing for parents to think about is that you know, we're all focused on K through 12 education, which is sort of our sweet spot right now because higher ed is sort of a disaster in and of itself. But what does this mean for the future workforce? Like these are the kids right now that we are expecting to grow up and become productive members of society. But what kind of a future do we have if you've raised a whole generation of kids who don't know how to think for themselves? I don't know how that makes our country better. I don't know how that makes corporate America better. I don't know how that makes anything better. And as Americans and as citizens, we should want the best and the brightest minds to be pushed so that they can continue to innovate. I mean, there's no coincidence why the COVID vaccines were developed in this country, right? They were developed actually, Moderna's in Massachusetts, and we've historically had great education here. And you'd like to think that there's a correlation between the environment that you create and a strong educational system and the citizens it produces and the innovation that it encourages. And so again, go back to that, like that, the fact that those vaccines were developed in this country, the ones that are working the best, you know, I would like to believe is because we've always had an education system that historically was, you know, lauded as one of the best in the country, but then if you go and look at all the standards, you know, we're lagging in every possible metric. You look in all these urban centers and 20% of kids can read at grade level and fewer can do math. And again, so we've lowered this bar to the point where nobody's really going to be getting ahead. And the simple solution is just 
fix the K through 12, right? Like teach the kids the skills they need and put aside all these other smoke screens and distractions and focus on that. And, and that's the problem. Like it's really hard to fix K through 12 and it's going to take a lot of work, but you don't get there by focusing on the wrong thing. And I think that's where we are. Yeah. I, I like to say, you know, we throw band-aids on things, but we don't put Neosporin on them right? We're not actually fixing what the problem is. We're just throwing a bandaid on it and saying, okay, go off, you know, and keep playing, but we're not looking at the root of the causes. And, you know, I, I think we have seen just, you know, going off on a tangent here, but we saw it over the past 18 months, how kids in public schools have been left behind on education. And I don't want to blame the teachers. I think it's the teachers unions because over a year ago, when teachers were asked if they wanted to go back to school, over 50% wanted to go back to school and go back and teach. And then a few months later, not even a few months, maybe six weeks later, when a poll was done, it was something like 30% wanted to go back to school. And then that number kept getting lower. So, you know, we've seen that, you know, with COVID under 500 children, sadly, 500 children, but under 500 children out of 700,000 people have died. So it's not the kids that are, are bringing the virus. So who's stopping our children from learning? Because we, you can never fix the equity issue. You can't fix the equality issue when you're 40. You have to do it when you're four, five, six. And going back to what Parents Unite do and the diversity of thought concept is that kids' minds are learning. They're like little sponges when they're, when they're young and they close off later on. And so if we're not teaching them to think for themselves and to be able to read and write and do math, then we're not going to be able to help them later on in their 40s. They're, they're already done. So Ashley, I really appreciate you coming today for this interview and to be on Political Contessa. It is awesome. And um, I wish Parents Unite the very best. And where can we find you? Our website is parentsunite.org. And hopefully that breaks down sort of why we started this. It talks a lot about accreditation, which we think is the root of the problem. And it provides a lot of resources for parents. So we have sort of a back to school night guide, questions you can ask. We have a trustee guide, question you can ask. We have a bunch of resources. We have articles. And just email us if you have questions or things that you don't see or want some help with because we're here to help you. I think that's awesome. You guys are totally needed. We really appreciate it. And as a parent of kids in independent schools, I think this is a really important thing to talk about, but even more so for any parent in that is go or anyone who's going to be a parent and whether it's public, independent, parochial, charter school, I think we all should have a say in our children's education. So Ashley Jacobs, Parents Unite, thank you so much for being with me today. Again, I want to thank Ashley for being with me today and discussing this super important topic. I think no matter where your kids go to school or where you go to school, you should feel free to let your mind wander Think about what is important to you. Use your education and your knowledge to broaden your horizons. I think if we become a society 
where we are just told what to think, what to feel, what to believe, we're all going to become robots. May as well take the human race off of the planet, replace us with R2-D2, <laughs> send us all out to Mars, because what do we have left? I think that it is important for all of us to have a say, to feel comfortable and confident being out there, talking about our views respectfully. But isn't that what this is about? Isn't that what diversity of thought is about? It's about respect, basic respect. We're taught that in our homes, hopefully still. We're taught that in our faith. God did not want us to disrespect our neighbors. We're not supposed to disrespect our parents. And so where did we become the society that it's all about disrespecting other people's perspectives? So thank you again for being here with me today. I hope this gives you something to think about. Go back, go talk to your friends, see how they feel about diversity of thought. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. 